So we're going to do something kind of different today. Um, I uh, I want to mention a couple of things before we jump into it. But one, if you got that that thing in your bulletin, that QR code, and you're sitting there, well, how does this thing work? Don't worry about it. You can either go to the church website or don't even worry about it. You can print this stuff out. Secondly, you don't have to have it. Um, I uh, really kind of was thinking about this this week, and I thought, you know, I'm always telling people, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. And, and, And you do. You need to read your Bible. So I'll just say it again. But... Sometimes it helps to kind of know, how, what does the Bible look like? I mean, this is a big book, and it jumps all over the place. You know, I had uh, somebody say, hey, where can I find a chronological Bible? Because the truth of the matter is, if you start in Genesis and go to Revelation, it, it bounces back and forth historically from the first five books to the next um, 12 books. You, you have all this history, then you stop, and then you go back, and, and you come back over here. So it's not chronological, um, and, and you may wonder what's happening because you go from the 8th century B.C. to the 5th century B.C. to the 6th, and, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and you're sitting here going, oh, no, this is going to be bad. Um, he's gone over the edge, and I have. So, so the deal is, is that just to kind of break it down and, and see what does the Bible look like? What is it? And, and basically, if you come into the Bible, the Bible's the story of God. It's God's story. It's God's story of His creation and who we are in Him, how we relate to Him, how we know Him, how we grow in our faith, and how we go back to experience the flourishing in the human life that God has designed us for. How do I experience everything that God has for me in that is how that we do that. So before we jump into that, I want to mention uh, Contessa said we have about four Sundays where we need a little bit of help for children's Sunday school. If you haven't signed up for that, you can do that out in the foyer after service, or you can contact the office or myself, and, and we'll get you hooked up. And then the other thing, there's sign-ups for food for next Sunday is our ministry fair. We have a barbecue. Um, you can sign up to bring side dishes and whatnot on the uh, Connect wall over there. And, and we'll get you going on that. So, here we go into the Bible. If, if you jump into the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, they tell us who we are. They tell us where we come from. They, they explain the story. This is who we are. This is where we come from. And, and you come in there and you have God. God does the creation. He makes the creation. And, and He comes in and out of nothing He creates everything. In Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. Um, and, and he creates, so God creates everything. He, he goes through, there's day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, day 7 is rest. Um, at the end of every, every day, he says, and God saw what he made and it was good. And then it comes into the very end and it says, and let us make man in our image, in male and female He created them, and it was very good. So God created us man and woman. That is the very design and purpose of God. He he shows us what's to be. He gives the woman and the man the, um, the, the charge to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to have dominion over the earth. Um, and in other words, they were put there to build, to build culture, to build a city, to populate the earth, to, 
to have dominion over it, to rule over the things of this world, and to have a perfect relationship with Christ. So that is the creation. Then you have the fall, and, and the fall is what went wrong. This is where we come from. We come from God, and then you have the fall, and the fall in, in there, the man and the woman are to have dominion over the earth, yet the serpent comes into the garden, and rather than sending him away, rather than exerting their dominion over the earth, instead they listen to him and they decide that they want to be God. It was not good enough to know God. It was not good enough to be blessed by God. It was not good enough to walk with God in the cool of the day. They wanted to be God. And so they partook of the fruit. They saw it. There was pride involved. Um, that's that, you know, we say pride leads to the fall. Well, that's where it comes from. Pride did. It was their pride. They wanted to be God. So this is what takes place um, there. And, and as a result of that, as a result of sin, they are cast out of the garden. There's an angel placed at the gate to prevent them from going in and eating of the tree of life and living forever. Um, there were two trees in there that we know of, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's the one that they partook from. Before that, they were innocent. They were fully innocent before God. And, and then at that, God said, we are going to, I will prevent them from partaking of the tree of life. The grace of God begins to be evident immediately in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, because at that point, they were separated from God. The relationship with God was fractured. They would never be face-to-face with God again, and God said, I will not let them live forever like that. They will not partake of the tree of life. And then he covered their nakedness and their shame, and he provided for them. And then you begin to see the story play out. You jump into Genesis chapters 4 through 11, and you see the spread of sin. You see that sin not only stays right there, but it goes everywhere. It affects a family. A brother kills a brother. Um, and, and then it goes on, and then a couple of generations down, you have people killing people all over the place. And, and you see this genealogy, and you see all these genealogies. You wonder, what's up with all this all of a sudden? And so, so-and-so lived this many years, and then he died. And then so-and-so had a son, and then he died. And then he died, 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 and then he died. And then he died. You get the picture? Sin brings death. We die. So that's the story. So it goes all the way there to chapter 11. And and you see the Tower of Babel where man decides that rather than build a city to the glory of God, he'll build a city to his glory. And and that he wants to be up with God. And, And so then you see everything go out from there. So that is where everything goes. So you have creation, fall, and the spread of sin. That is Genesis 1 through 11. Following that, we have the age of the patriarchs. We see the call of Abraham. And in that, by the way, in that outline, if you weren't able to figure that out, it's on the church website. If you don't figure that, don't even worry about it. You don't have to have it. It's just something you can tuck away because I'm not going to be that close to it, but I'll I'll be kind of close to it. Um, Anyway, you have the age of the patriarchs. You have um, Abraham who is called out of Ur of Chaldees. So he's, he's worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars. The God of all creation encounters him, calls him to leave his home, leave everything he knows, to leave the tribe, to leave the family security, to leave everything that's there. And he is this man of immense faith. Look, he left everything. He left everything that, that, that any human being could have to follow God. 
And so he goes to follow God, and, and God makes a covenant with him. And you see this covenant in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, you see this thing happen, and, and, and we're, you don't need a sack lunch today. Don't worry, we'll go faster as we move along. Um, but, uh, but anyway, in Genesis chapter 15, God shows Abram this land, and he says all of this is, is going to be yours, but it's not you. It'll be your descendants, and they'll be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But the sins of the Amorites have not reached their fulfillment. So God tells him this, and 400 years later, we'll see this in a moment, that the people of Israel actually do, the descendants of Abraham do take that land. But God is giving the Amorites, um, he's giving them 400 years to turn to him. So you have this, this time where you have Abraham, um, then he has, uh, two, he has a son Isaac who has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is, is the one who is the father of the 12 tribes. He has 12 sons. We go in to Joseph, the story of Joseph who goes down the, tw- the 11 of the, or 10 of the uh, 12 brothers, sell their brother into slavery. He goes into slavery. He's in a prison for 20 years down there. <clears throat> Finally, when he's about 40 years old, he comes before Pharaoh and, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream and, and we have the exodus. So you come in and, and this is, um, this is the story. But anyway, coming in there, that's from 1800 to 1300 B.C. Coming in 1300 B.C. at about 1250. So that's the book of Genesis. Then you have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So you have a 50-year window where you have those four books of the Bible. So we have bondage in Egypt. The people of, the people of God cry out to God. God hears their cry. He responds to them. They go out. Um, in that, you get the, the, we have the Ten Commandments. We have the, um, the story of God's deliverance. We have um, the, great, the great pictures that, that we see of what we see of the law. We see the, the God, Moses goes up. He brings down the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. We see the Day of Atonement. We see the festival days. We see the priesthood, we see sacrifice, we see all of this begin to unfold, and the story begins to unfold, and then they are told to go into the land, they come back, and they say, hey, it's a beautiful land, but we can't do it, we're like grasshoppers, And, and God said, who told you you were like grasshoppers? I told you to go do it, and they came back and said, no, two men said, yes, we can do it, God can do it, God will do this through us, Joshua and uh, Caleb, but the other didn't, so they spent 40 years in the wilderness digging graves, and all that generation dies, and then they go in, so you come to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the last 40 days before they go in and cross the river, so, so this comes in, and this is the, the life of Moses, and then you see things begin to rapidly begin to unfold. So if, if you come in and, and look at those, um, you kind of go, okay, we, we've had this, but, but I really came here today to hear um, a challenge from the Word of God. Look, here's the challenge from the Word of God. The challenge from the Word of God is when we read it that we get a picture of what He's telling us, and then as we sit down with the little pieces of it that we take in on a daily basis, that we look at it, and I look at the Word of God, and I say, you know what, what's going on here? Who are these people? Why was God doing this? What was happening in their time? What did life look like in their culture? And, and as we come in here today, how does it look like us today? Because, you know, the more I read the Bible, you know what I realize? The people that I read about in there, they're no different than me. They have the same hang-ups 
They have the same needs. They have the same desires. They have the same wants. They have the same sin problem. It's all the same. Nothing's really changed. It's just the circumstances around it have. But at the very essence, we are still the same. So you have Joshua. It's the age of conquest. Joshua goes up. They conquer the entire land. He leads the people across. And, and that takes us in to what we uh, call Israel and, and this land today. So coming in there, let's just jump on in to, to that. And um, we see that they come in and they put everybody to the sword. And then they go. So you have from there, that ends. Joshua dies. And that generation dies. So you have a whole generation here that, that they knew everything that was going on. They saw God do mighty things. They saw God defeat their enemies before them. They saw the walls of Jericho fall without ever coming against the city. They just marched around it, and God drops the walls. They saw amazing things. They saw their enemies flee before them. They saw things that, that are just absolutely beyond imagination. They went in. They, they moved into this land. They lived in houses they didn't build. They picked fruit from trees they didn't plant. They, they harvested crops they didn't plant. They took in things God provided for them in a miraculous, amazing way they ate manna in the wilderness and they died and a generation came to life that did not know the works of the Lord and that takes us to the book of Judges so you come into the book of Judges and in the book of Judges it's it's the darkest period in the history of Israel. It's, it's a really bad, bad, bad time. As a matter of fact, if you come to the uh, book of Judges at, at the very end, in, in the very last verse, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did fit as he saw in his own eyes. Now, let that sink in. What that says is, I have my truth, you have your truth, and it's all okay. Sounds like us, doesn't it? It sounds like today. And we wonder, what about the Bible? Well, I mean, sometimes we we just don't see it. We we look at it and we think it's ancient history. We don't see it as just like us today. For instance, I've got glasses on today. You know, you haven't seen me in glasses in 20 plus years, right? Because in 2000, I got rid of the glasses. I didn't need the glasses anymore. In 2000, in May of 2000, I was blind in my left eye and I couldn't see out of my right eye. And I'd been like that since I was a kid, wearing big, thick glasses. And, and they had a coupon special in the Anchorage Daily News for LASIK surgery for $995. So I went and got my very first surgery in my life on a coupon. I don't know what that says about me. <clears throat> but I knew if there was one thing I'd always wanted for years and years and years was to be able to see was to be able to swim without a pair of glasses or contact lenses, to be able to do that. So I did. I went, <clears throat> and, and, and this amazing thing happens. I can see the whites in your eyes right now. I mean, I can see just as clear as day. I see just like a human being is supposed to see. But there's this other thing that's happening called age. 
And, and now I've got these glasses that are blank on the top, and they're one thing in the middle and another thing on the bottom. And they kind of make me sick at my stomach. So if I have to run out of the door, throw them and crush them, whatever. But, uh, but they tell me I'll get used to it. But, but I see things at different, like right here, I don't see anything, you know, just a blur. So, so I come in, and, and, <clears throat> and I have to get these things into focus or whatever, and you don't want to get on a ladder in that because everything's wigged out and curved and bent, and it's like being in the, in the circus house, um, you know, with the funky mirrors and stuff. But here's the deal. Sometimes the Bible is like that to us because we just don't stop long enough to think about it. We just don't stop long enough to think that, that we haven't changed. Nothing's changed. We're still men and women created in the image of God. Nothing and no one can change that. And we're tainted by sin. We have desires and wants that prevent us from worshiping God. So we sang that song, Behold Our God Seated on the Throne, Come Let Us Adore Him. That, that's what we're made to do. That is what we're made to do. Behold our King. Nothing can compare. Nothing can compare. And that's the problem. We have these wants and these desires that are cheap and hollow and empty, and they prevent us from experiencing the life and the beauty and the joy and the happiness that God wants to give us. And so we come in and we see this, and, and, and so when you see this book of Judges and you open it up and you read it, it should break your heart. Because what you see is us. And you see us on the merry-go-round. And, and we get on the merry-go-round, and they go in there, and everything is great. They're living in a land of milk and honey. And in the land of milk and honey, they forgot what God warned them. In Deuteronomy, he said, hey, when you get there, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget me. And what did they do? They forgot. And they begin to, to look around them and go, wow, look at these people over here. They worship this guy. Hey, I think maybe we ought to try that. So they began to look around them and, and conform to their culture rather than conforming the culture to what God called them to. So that's the story of judges. You have apostasy. They, they pursued false gods. You have the judgment of God coming upon them. God saying, look, I can't let you do this. I can't. I love you too much. I long for you to know me. I long for you to experience me. I long to bless you. I long to show myself to you. I long to be in relationship with you. I won't let you do this. So he begins to drop the hammer, and he begins to let their enemies overwhelm them. And he begins to let the circumstances of life crush them because his hand has been withdrawn and he is letting them experience what they wanted outside of him. Then eventually they wake up and they go, wow, you know, when we were walking with God, things weren't like this. And they cry out to God. God, in his grace and mercy, delivers them. He sends a judge. A judge is a military ruler like Deborah, Samson, um, Gideon, you have these, these leaders who are these military leaders who come in and they deliver them. They lead them, and then the merry-go-round just stops 
all starts all over again. So that's um, kind of where where you come in. So we find the people of Israel um, doing just weird stuff during this time. So that's that's Judges. Um, they they begin to move from this into the uh, the kingdom. So we begin to see this, and then we come in and we see at the end of Judges, we jump into First Samuel, and in First Samuel, we see this man Saul come up. So Saul is called to be king. Um, Saul, he's, he's a tragic figure. He has um, everything that looks good on the outside, nothing good on the inside. He blows it. Um, and, and then we have the call of David. David reigns for 39 years. You have Solomon for 39 years. David, here's the thing. God made, makes this covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. It's a covenant of divine commitment. It is a covenant that God says this is going to happen no matter what. This will happen. This is dependent on me. God makes a covenant with Israel that's a covenant of human obligation. He says, if you follow me, if you walk with me, I will bless you. If you do this, if you follow me in the land, things will go well. They don't, we come to judges. Now you come to the third covenant you see, and it's the covenant that God cuts with, or he makes with David. He makes this covenant with David, and he tells David, he says, you're going to always have a descendant on the throne. That's Jesus. That will ultimately be Jesus. And, and nothing will change that. So this, that's important. It's important to hold on to that. It's important to understand it because that's a part of everything that happens in the rest of the Old Testament as we come in there and, and as we run. So we have this, this kingdom. We have um, everything going on. And then all of a sudden, David dies. His son Solomon becomes king. Solomon is known as a man of wisdom. He lives a life of folly. If you want to understand it, go through and read his life. He marries the daughter of the king of Egypt. He brings her in to Jerusalem, the holy city. And he says, you know what? She can't really live in my house because she's an idol worshiper. I'll build her her own place. What doesn't work with that? I mean, we look at it, and none of us are like the wisest people on the planet, right? He lived a life of folly. And this just goes to show that you can have the wisdom of Solomon and make the dumbest decisions in the world. And this is what Solomon does. So he dies. He has a son. His son is uh, Rehoboam. Rehoboam comes in, and, and by the time Solomon dies, he has taxed people to death. I mean, he is a tax, 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 tax kind of guy. He is not the guy you're going to vote for. He has has milked the people to death. He has done all these building projects. He has done everything is opulent and big and and everything. And and he has, you know, thousand thousand women in his harem and all this stuff. I mean, he's a nut. And his son is a fool. And he doesn't listen. And he comes in, and, and the people say, look, just, just lighten up a little bit. We'll love you, and we'll serve you. We just need to go back to David. And, and he listens to his buddies. The older guys say, look, you, you need to listen to him. The younger guys say, look, you tell them that I'm going to crush you. My little pinky's thicker than my father's thigh. And that's what he does, and the kingdom splits. So now you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You have Judah and you have Israel. So Jeroboam, 
becomes the king of the ten northern tribes. Jeroboam also had a call from God, and he was a fool as well. He decided that instead of letting people worship God, I'll have them worship my own gods because I don't want them to go over here. I'm afraid that they'll go back over here. So you have this thing going on. So now you have the ten tribes of Israel who they, they never really do too well. Spiritually, they don't do too well. Judah does better. And, and you come in, and, and you have everything going on there. And <clears throat> so this is where we're going to land. Um, they have their capital in Samaria. Samaria. So in, in the Bible, when you hear the word Israel, it's going to be one of four things. It's going to either be Jacob, the patriarch, who is wrong in your notes. It says Joseph, but it's actually Jacob. Um, <clears throat> then it could also be the nation of Israel. It could be the people of Israel, which um, that's, that's a political thing. It could be the ten tribes after the fall. That's political also. Or it could be a name for the people of God, my people Israel, saying a theological thing. So, so all of those different ways you'll see the word. You'll see Israel thrown around in a lot of different ways in the Old Testament. So you've got to know what, what exactly is, is going on there. But anyway... <clears throat> Here's what happens. These two kingdoms, they, they struggle along. Things begin to fall apart, and the wheels come off. So um, you have everything going, but, but what happens is, is during this time, you have from 783 until, um, let's see, 742 B.C., you have Uzziah. If you remember, if you go in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on the throne the train of his robe filled the temple and you see this great picture of the throne room of God and Isaiah has this vision and <clears throat> and in that everything is up in the air because this has been this has been a time of plenty this has been a time of everything you want you get this has been a time where the stock market did nothing but go up this has been the time where the crops did nothing but come in this has been the time where there was nobody who came in to beat you up it was great and then the king dies and everything is up in the air and and they had everything that they want and and the people during that time <clears throat> began to have internal problems the nation began to rot from the inside they weren't looking to God. They were looking to themselves. Now, think about this a minute. Let's go back to Judges. When we come in in our nation, aren't we just like them? Remember 9-11? Sure. Next week is the anniversary of 9-11. What happened right after 9-11? You couldn't find a seat in church. Man, people showed up, they came in, they were praying, they were going, going, going. Everybody cried out to God. God, why did this happen? Why did you let these evil Muslim people do this to us? Don't you know? Why, 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 why? And how long was it before the churches were sitting about right where they were before? Not very, not very we have a very short memory you see the Israelites worshiped the God of pleasure they worshiped the God of entertainment they worshiped the God of self just like us 
you think the Bible, you know, it's some ancient book. <laughs> and, and, you know, what does it have to It has everything. It's us. It's us. It's the story of God with his people. It's our story. They <clears throat> came in and they blew up Genesis 1 and 2. They just blew it up. And that's what we've done. This is what we've done. In our country, we're blowing up. We are blowing up the plans and purposes of God. But behold our God seated on the throne. You better come adore Him because you won't change Him. You see, we're made male and female. Surprise. You know, I watched those little girls come out and I immediately knew they were girls. And nothing will change that. And I knew that God had a plan and a purpose. And nothing will change that. And we want to change. We want to change what God has made and created into something else. And God won't honor that. God won't bless that. As a matter of fact, God will crush it. He will crush that. And <clears throat> you see this thing in, in, in the scriptures where it says they called evil good and good evil. And then they celebrated evil. And they celebrated those who did evil with them. And, and this is what's happening. So this is what happens in this fall and everything unraveling and the wheels coming off and, and, and everything else. And, and we look and, and we think, wow, we're America. We're strong. But we're not. We're fat, dumb, and happy. Because we've left our God. We have left our God. And we even subscribe to the foolishness around us. We celebrate immorality. We celebrate debauchery. Oh, debauchery, what's that? That's sensual pleasures. See, God made them male and female. He told them, be fruitful and multiply. He said, I gave you a wife. I gave you a husband. Enjoy one another. That's good. Don't enjoy someone else's wife or daughter or son. Don't pervert this. Live it the way I made it. So there's where they land. So this is what happens. So, in 745 B.C., Tiglath-Pileser III, the biggest, baddest dude who ever walked on the planet, the king of Assyria, came and wiped the ten northern tribes off the face of the earth. They exist no more. The only two tribes left are Judah and Benjamin. They're gone. Gone, gone. Now you have 
the Samaritans. It's called divide and conquer, or conquer and divide. They conquered, and then they took all these people, and they intermingled them racially, culturally, politically, and, and they moved them all over the place, and they made this one big pot of godlessness. Judah survives. Why? Why does Judah survive? Are they better? No, they're not better. Judah survived because God made a covenant. God made a covenant with David, a covenant of divine obligation. He said, you will always have someone seated on the throne. And so there's where we come. So Judah goes on. Um, <clears throat> they come in. And, and you begin to see other prophets, and, and they're there. Babylon comes in. Ba they're carried off into Babylon, Babylonian captivity. You read Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. It's during that pre time period, part of Isaiah is, Ezekiel is, um, several others. But you begin to see the great prophets calling out in the 8th century, 7th century, 6th, and, and so forth, calling people God back to him. And, and then <clears throat> you come in, and they are carried off. It, it goes on. You can look at that, that timeline, and it gives you all of those different things. But basically, remember this. Judah is spared, not because they were better, but because God made a covenant. And God is always good on his word. And that's something that we have to remember. So <clears throat> we come in. You see the exile. They go off into Babylon and the exile. Eventually, the people of Israel, <clears throat> God uh, comes back. And he allows them to go back. Um, Cyrus becomes king. Then he come in, and, <clears throat> and the people go back. They rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuild the walls. And, and it's during that time, during the time post-Nehemiah, coming on down to about 150 B.C. in there, here's what happens. Legalism takes over. Okay, all these bad things happen to us because we didn't do the right things. i got to do the right stuff. If I'll just do the right things, I'll get the right results. Sounds good. But, but, it's, it's like the two-year-old who says, I'm standing, but I'm sitting in my mind. That, that's what doing the right things is. I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to gain God's favor by doing the right stuff. It, it doesn't work that way. It it, um, my wife doesn't love me because I do the right things. I do the right things because I love her. Does that make sense? You're faithful to your spouse, not because you'll get in trouble if you're not. And if, that's your, if that is your motivation, you're going to be divorced. I mean, just go ahead and figure it out. You're faithful to your spouse because you love them. It's just a simple thing. We're faithful and true to God, not because we're afraid that God's going to zap us or that we'll get caught. We're faithful and true to God because we love him. So this is what happens. You get the Pharisees in this. You get the law. You get all of the things. Legalism come from this time. So there, boom, you have the intertestament period. Uh, the people are crying out. What's the answer? Where are you, God? There's a there's this big blank space, 400 years of blank space, of no voice from God, no voice from the prophets. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. He is the last of the prophets. John the Baptist comes, Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, crying out, make straight the paths for him, fill in the valleys, level the hills, cut the crooks out of the road, 
prepare the way. That's what they would do for a king. And this is what John is saying as he's coming in. He's crying out as Isaiah did in the 8th century B.C. And now Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And then you have... Then you have this fulfillment in in Genesis 3.15. You you see what what God said to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in other words, Jesus is going to crush Satan. He is going to crush him. And this is what takes place. So you have this taking place, and, and then we come in and we have Jesus, we have the life of Jesus, we have the death of Jesus, we have the burial of Jesus, we have the resurrection of Jesus, that's the Gospels, Jesus defeats sin and death on the cross, as he defeats sin and death on the cross, God's promise to David is fulfilled, God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled, the covenants of divine commitment are completed and done and made available to us and and we come in here and and our failure our failure to hold up the demands of the law is covered on the cross and Jesus fulfills everything in that covenant on the cross and the veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. We don't have time to go into the veil, but but remember the, the Holy of Holies, the holy place we talk about all through Revelation and the new heaven, the new earth, and, and everything coming down there. Look, that's the veil. And, and now we move into the book of Acts from the gospel, and in the book of Acts, it's the bridge. It's the bridge from, from the temple to the church or from the synagogue to the church, from Israel to the church. It is the change. It is the shift. It is the move. And now the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you and you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So there we are. And we come in and, and we have this and it's happening here. And, and we see that. So it's the birth of the church. And Acts chapter 1-8 gives them the mission. And you shall be my... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we get our mission. We get our command. This is what we are to do, and this is everything that's going to play out. And and so we have that, the coming of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Then we have the letters. You have 21 letters following the book of Acts. All of these letters are written by different authors, but you come in and the letters give us orthodoxy. They tell us what to believe. They tell us what is solid about Scripture, the Trinity, Jesus, humanity, the atonement, salvation, the coming of Christ or the return of Christ. So you have that. You have that's orthodox beliefs. In other words, these are the truths of our faith. And then you have orthopraxy. Gets used two big words today. Um, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthopraxy means living it. That means what you do. What you believe impacts what you do. So you come in and, and, and orthopraxy is we are to have a supreme love for Jesus, that he is to be above all things. We are to regularly study the word of God, that we are to renunciate ourselves as the priority, instead make God the priority, that, that he is to be in first. We are to live a life of submission to the cross, submission to God, submission to the word of God, submission to the things he wants to do in us, that, that we have an allegiance to Jesus' compelling leadership, that, that we 
move with him, that we follow him, that we trust him, that, that he is our God seated on the throne, the king, and, and we are worshiping him. And we recognize God's ownership of all things, including ourselves and our possessions. <coughs> and we reflect the love of Christ to others. So that's, that's the orthopraxy. And um, as you come in, And then we have the end of it all, and that's the return of the king. <coughs> and uh, that's the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back. We see that he is coming back and that he will defeat the powers of evil forever, that, <coughs> that the battle is won. He will reverse the curse of sin. He will restore creation and live among his people forever. Jesus wins. Actually, Jesus doesn't win. He won. He already won. He won on the cross. And you could really go back and say that he was never defeated to begin with. God has always been sovereign. He has always been on the throne. And he always will be on the throne. And as we wrap it all up and you come into the whole Bible, <clears throat> and oh man, how in the world did we go through all this? Um, Here's, here's how it lands. Genesis 1 and 2, it's a garden, right? The Bible starts in a garden. Revelation 21 and 22, it's a garden. It ends where it starts. Here's the difference. The difference between the garden in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, God gave the charge to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful. Multiply. Create, build, build a society, build, build something beautiful, build something magnificent. Take the things I've given to you, enjoy them, drink life up with me. I will be your everything. And they refused. So in Revelation 21, 22, God builds the city. God builds what he told man to do. God does what we refuse to do. And in his grace and mercy, restores us to it. You see, that, that's, that, when we talk about heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, adorned as a, adorned as a bride, coming in, there for us. That's the story. That, that's what happens. So, so you come in, you have Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. They're the bookends of the Bible. And everything in between is God extending grace and mercy to broken humanity. And that's what we've been called into. You see, we can get all worked up <clears throat> about everything going on in our world. We can rant, we can rave. But instead, we just need to be true to the Word of God. We just need to be true to the Word of God. We, we need to refuse to bend on the truth. We need to refuse to call evil good. We need to refuse to support evil. We need to refuse 
to be anything other than people created in the image of God, living lives to honor and glorify him, knowing that Jesus has redeemed us, he has restored us, and he has given us a purpose in this world. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope that Jesus gives to us. That's what we've been placed here to do. And we have this amazing hope. Not because we do the right things. Not because we're born in the right place. Not because it's the 21st century. Not because of anything other than our God who made us in his image. He sent his son Jesus to restore us and remove the curse of sin. And he promises to be with us through all things. So as you come in and, and, and you look at the Bible, you, there's a story of God. That's it. It's the story of God. And, and when you come in and you sit down and you read it, you got your nice little handy-dandy outline. You can see what's happening politically. You can see what's happening going on. You can, you can look at that and come in and go, oh, this fits in this time frame. This is here. This is what was going on. And, and this is how the people were thinking. And then you can go, you know what? I don't think we're a whole lot different. You know, things haven't really changed that much. And then you can look at it and go, you know what? I wonder, I wonder how I've been like the frog in the kettle and inoculated to all the things in my culture around me and how I've just been sucked in to living out things that destroy me and destroy the people around me and how if I will go back and, and look at this is what God desires, this is what God wants to do in me, and, and I want to worship him. And I want him to be my greatest desire. And then watch everything change as we come in there. So is there an attitude that's wrong in me? Is there a thought that's wrong in me? Are there actions in me that are wrong? Or are there things that, that, that I should build on? There are there things that God's doing in me that are good and right and holy and that he wants to build upon? How do I do that? And I just take those words in that Bible and I go, how does this apply to me today? How does this apply to our culture? How do we look like this? And how am I drawn to it? So coming in, hopefully, we're back to last week talking about discipleship, you know. Do not be conformed anymore to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind that you may prove that which is good, perfect, and acceptable, the pleasing will of God. You know, how, how do I do that stuff? Well, this is how. You just kind of come in and, and you begin to do it. But the word of God, it's alive. It's alive. And, and it's a big book. I, I get that. And, and there's lots and lots to it. And I'm constantly learning new things about it. And so will you. But here's the thing. Don't despise. Don't despise small beginnings. Because God starts with you right where you are. And he moves you one day at a time closer to where he wants you to be. So, so just do it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. And, and God is going to do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and, and thank you and praise you for your word, for your grace and mercy. Father, that you didn't just wipe us out for rejecting you. Father, that um, while we were enemies, enemies of you, enemies of the cross, enemies of everything that was good and holy and right, 
that you continually pursued us, that you've given us life, that you've given us hope, and that through Jesus, we can be made whole. Father, help us to be the people you've made us to be. Help us, Lord, to walk with you faithfully. I pray all of this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.